I am Dr. Melina, and welcome to Practically Healthy by Dr. Melina, where I take some of the greatest scientists and minds and experts in different fields and really try to dig deep into what you should do, what you will do, and what you can do. So at the end of the day, it's what are you going to do? And I try to find the balance because I'm not perfect, uh, definitely not. Um, but I really, and not only, you know, when it comes to nutrition, but also fitness and health in general. And that leads us to my guest today. I'm very, very excited. I, I think she and I have a tremendous amount in common because I think medicine has lost sight of the uh, individual. Um, but Dr. Florence Comite, I said it correctly. Very well. (laughs) Okay. Um, Is uh, an endocrinologist who, uh, it sounds like 20 years ago, uh, started, was way ahead of the curb in looking at precision medicine and health. Um, She's got a center, uh, actually three centers for precision medicine and health in Manhattan, Miami, and Palo Alto. So any of you who are lucky enough to live in those venues could go see her. Um, But let's just jump right in because we have so much to talk about. Thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. And I think our listeners are going to learn a lot. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So real quick, I mean, you know, you and I know we're we're trained with traditional medicine. Uh, we're taught to go by the book and treat ranges of numbers. You know, if your lab, if your thyroid is anywhere from this to this, you're fine, even if you're on the very, very low end or the very high end. So what led you to kind of take a different path in medicine? So that's a great question. Uh, what happened was, is I would look at the reports in my patients years ago, women's health, I, I was doing that, I was doing men's health, and even in children and adults, and recognize that people were on a trajectory to become a diabetic or to become, have heart disease or cancer osteoporosis. And I wondered why we were waiting because they were young. It hadn't, it hadn't emerged yet as symptoms, but it was beginning to. And in addition to that, I also had become a clinical researcher when I was at NIH after training in medicine at Yale. I went to NIH for my endocrine fellowship. And I was lucky enough to have amazing mentors. And when there, I recognized that clinical research could be about the specific N of one human being. And that's what I started to do. And when I started to do it, it was actually an epiphany because I'm also an identical twin. And I knew that one size doesn't fit all because even as an identical twin, I'm different than my twin sister who's smarter and she's a dermatologist. So she picked a good field. Well, that, it's so interesting that you say that because, I mean, a lot of the, uh, and, and just for listeners who don't understand, N of one means that it's really looking at one person, the, the case study of one, not thousands and looking at the average, but one person and their risks and their response and their different variability. So, but a lot of the research has been done in identical twins because to look at the effect of genetics versus environment. So that's fascinating that you're an identical twin. And uh, I'm sure she's not that much smarter. You come on, you've done a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she'd tell you because she's older. So I get to say that now. But the, the whole issue with being identical, but being different meant that the research done in twins didn't always take into account that we're different 
I didn't understand why I love sushi and sashimi and she doesn't like fish or she's a phenomenal gardener or an inch shorter. Now she's thinner. So she's very happy about that. So we're, there were differences. And even though I love genomics and I think we're turning to a stage in, in medicine where genomics can be layered in, I knew metabolism. I knew the way we lived life. All of that had to be taken into consideration when you decide the path you're on and how to, maintain your health and get it back for life. That's what we do. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting that you say that because I was, you know, I've been studying genomics for a while in, in terms of nutrition. And and there's a few things that I think people need to un- understand. And I had an expert on from one of the companies and uh, one of the owners. And, you know, I think it's very you know, interesting. I think there can, it's, I don't think it's fully ready for prime time. I think there is, there's a lot, you can't just do it yourself, which is why I love your app, which we'll talk about to help kind of guide people. But I do think that there's a lot more low hanging fruit that are actionable and, and, you know, metabolomics is a big one. So I love, and that's what piqued my interest about some of the work that you're doing. And, and just also for those of you don't, who don't know, an endocrinologist really studies hormones. And you talk about that a lot. So let's jump right in because I'm a woman, I'm 52 years old, you know, and uh, yeah. Um, But it's, you know, I, I, and I'm very intrigued by um, continuous glucose monitors. So CGMs, and they are everywhere now. You can't swing a dead cat without hearing about that on Instagram. So tell us, as an endocrinologist, you're, I think, more well-versed to speak to this than anybody else. I'm really curious about why you chose to do that and how it's helped you help patients. Because at the end of the day, that's what we want to do. Exactly. I think that's a great question. So I've been using it since the onset. I actually snuck in from other country, another country, the one where patients could follow themselves as opposed to the initial one where you had to come into the doctor's office every two weeks. And what's so magical about it is it actually looks at the way your sugar changes through your day, through the week. Each one lasts about 14 days, depending on which one is being utilized. And it actually allows for diagnoses, even without any other tests in some cases. We picked up, as you mentioned, thyroid. The broadness of the TSH doesn't really uh, translate to what free T3 or free T4 looks like. You have to look at them independently. And that is something that can show up if you're lethargic, if you're sleeping too much, if your sugar is too low. And so by interpreting those values through the CGM, did your sugar run high? Are you within the right range, 70 to 80 when you're fasting? Do you top off at 120 or do you eat a banana goes to 180? It can point us in the right direction as to what to focus on, whether it's insulin, thyroid, testosterone, which is a big factor here when you're 50. I have to say, I wouldn't have guessed that at all. I would have been off by more than a decade. In your- oh, thank you. I so appreciate you look that. fantastic. I'm sure it's your precision nutrition, but that's where the CGM makes a huge difference because you can own your own information at the point you need it. It isn't the blood glucose, it's interstitial. So it's in the fluid around your muscle. And the one we happen to use is used is made so that you put it on the triceps and that's where you read the data. 
So it's interesting. So I, I have a million questions for you, but I, I didn't, I had never considered a CGM, continuous <coughs> glucose monitor to, and again, just for those people you don't, and I had one, I, I tried to use it a couple months ago um, and it was quite interesting, but I accidentally went in the hot tub with it. And then it, I, so I have another one, which I'm going to use soon, but I had no okay. idea that thyroid, it could be an indicator of low thyroid or low testosterone as well. Tell us a little bit more about that. So when sugar vacillates, particularly as we women and, and even men reach our 30s, testosterone begins to fall. That makes a difference because you're not putting away the same muscle you used to doing exactly the same workouts, eating, even eating well. It's why we age, basically. And so the concern, Melina, is that we're not preventing chronic disease, diabetes, heart disease. By reading the numbers initially in the continuous glucose monitor, which you're right, getting it wet for more than 30 minutes, you've killed it. Um, it also can fall off, which is better nowadays than it used to be. And there are circular band-aids you can put around it. So I go to the hot tub, but I keep my arm up above it, which is Perfect. not fun. I'll do that next great. time. <laughs> yeah. So that's how it works. And it leads us to tie those results into the metabolomics that you mentioned, because our big focus is on metabolism and also hormones, which are related and they they affect one another. So as women and men reduce the testosterone in their body, which starts way before perimenopause and menopause, actually, it starts in the 30s, we start losing testosterone by one to 3% a year. And we're losing muscle then. And that is why women begin even women in phenomenal shape, come in at 40, 35 to 40 and say, I put on two, three, four pounds, I don't understand it. So those are an exception, because a lot of us gain more than that. I'm in that category, the latter one. So those are the reasons it's so important to understand it. Plus, I think it ties you to what's going on at a deeper level, at the cellular level, in your metabolism itself. Okay, so let me just clarify so I understand it correctly. It, it's not a direct impact of testosterone on blood sugar. It's indirect because you're, and I say this a lot, like muscle acts like a sponge absorbing the right. circulating blood glucose, but it's not a direct effect of the low testosterone or, or does it have something? There can be a direct effect, absolutely, of all the hormones on different categories because our body is really a system and it all it speaks to one another. So you're not in isolation with your heart like most of conventional medicine, which you alluded to, and both of us were classically trained. So we know acts like the heart's in one category, your ovaries are another, your brain is another, but that's not the case. We all, the organs all speak to one another. It's like that old childhood nursery your thigh bone is connected to your, you know, you remember yeah. that. Um, and so when testosterone falls, it does have a direct effect on you being able to maintain your sugar at a lower level. It's not just the mus muscle effect. The same thing is true of other hormones like thyroid. And so we can, for example, see recently I saw a gentleman who had been on thyroid he didn't have recent lab values. And when we tested him, his TSH was over 10 and his sugar was quite low. And it gets corrected as you correct the thyroid or picking up on a young woman who had autoimmune problems. And when she was wearing the CGM, her sugars also dropped very low. It turned out that she had severe thyroid disease. It wasn't picked up. And by simply correcting her thyroid, her sugar corrected. So there's a there's some direct as well as the indirect effects you mentioned. 
Wow, that's fascinating. I think I'm going to have to bring this into my arsenal more with patients. Um, I do, you know, it's interesting, though, because I will, um, you know, uh, several years ago, I had my... Um, I checked testosterone through saliva. I don't know how you feel about that, but, um, and I definitely interested in that. And, and it was quite low. Um, but I, I actually build muscle quite, I, I love to work out and I build muscle quite easily. And, and, um, you know, certainly my libido was also low, which I know is an indicator. Um, but I was a little concerned about, so explain this to me because then I can explain it better. Um, you know, I didn't want to be more aggressive. <laughs> um, I'm already plenty aggressive, and I was concerned about that. And I was also concerned about how we figure out what's ideal because of the association of, you know, elevated testosterone and polycystic ovarian syndrome, which, you know, can cause insulin resistance and all sorts of metabolic abnormalities. So there's like a balancing act. So what should I be thinking? And I think I'm, I'm, you know, emblematic of a lot of people. It's not a weight thing for me, but I, I'm curious what, how you would treat me. And then maybe somebody out there will be listening and they'll get inspired. Yeah. Well, knowing a little bit more about you, like your family history, how you live life, I think of it as the health story. So we collect that information and we understand your makeup. So you're unusual. You're an N of one that may be a plus three standard deviations, meaning you're not average. And when I say N of one in my brain, I'm thinking of a mountain where in medicine, we tend to treat to the average, which would be the peak of the mountain. But in general, some people are at the beginning of the mountain, just starting up. That would be a minus three standard deviation. So they're are different than average, or you could be at the end of the mountain where you might be because you're easily making muscle, you feel good about your weight. But what's different is testosterone also protects your heart, your cardiac function, your brain function and cognition. And that isn't so easy to measure. And it doesn't become available in terms of what's really happening a decade down the line, two decades down the line. So effectively intervening where you could sustain testosterone and you can protect the rest of your body, you would see a huge difference because it also eliminates visceral fat, fat you might not see. We see people with a six pack or an eight pack and they still have visceral fat in their liver because it might be a genetic component to their risk of a heart attack, a stroke or cancer. And with you in particular in mind, um, your levels being low and it's hard to use saliva, even though some people do it effectively because it varies all the time. Really a serum indicator of testosterone and it's free testosterone. We look at not right. whole testosterone or total because that's tied up and bound, as you know, to sex steroid binding globulin. It's in with other globulins. So that's an important factor. In fact, I consider T one of the main factors that jumps out in the 30s that really starts this decline to aging and weakness. And that's what you want to avoid. So that makes sense? Yeah, it does make sense. It just, I guess, you know, I, I really want to get to the bottom of this just because there is controversy about it in medicine. And I, I really try to be that doctor who um, listens to both sides and then makes my own kind of best. I mean, I'll just give you an example. And I, I, I hate social media, but I 
obviously it's a necessary evil. And I was, there's a doctor on social media who had a whole post as I was preparing for this interview about how we need to be careful with testosterone levels in women. It can cause arrhythmias and nobody tells you the dirty little secret. So I'm wondering how you would respond to that. And then also I, I noticed in reading through some of your work that you actually use supplements to support testosterone, maybe not just straight up testosterone. So so I've been using testosterone for well over 20 years, 20, 25 years, and have yet to date never had any kind of incident of any issue. If there's too much maybe that's put on, we try to use it in places that don't have end organ hair stimulation, because you mentioned polycystic ovarian disease, the imbalance, where the N of one really matters to what we do. So when they're talking about arrhythmias or cardiac issues, it's not the direct effect of testosterone. It's not even the indirect effect. What's happening is probably there's a gene for uh, atrial fibrillation, which is 4Q25. And as you mentioned before, we like to look for that both for thyroid and testosterone because we're going to err on the side of above all do no harm. And that classic you know, training that I have and I'm publishing our data is actually being published. So it's highly significant means that we're going to weigh risk benefit for you and for each person. We're not just going to arbitrarily increase your testosterone by a hundredfold. We're going to keep it within what I think of optimal, not even, I don't call hormonal replacement replacement because I'm not mother nature. Um, we optimize it, but we optimize it to the benefit of the patient by looking at risk benefit ratio above all do no harm that's the risk but if the benefit is going to really make a difference that's where you want to take a person yeah no i i think it's 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 really i, I don't know why there's such a disconnect between let's call it traditional medicine and more you know of what you and i are both doing maybe in a little different ways um just because i tend to be obviously much more focused on nutrition and lifestyle but there's a lot, I will tell you, I have a, which is why I'm so open to what you do. And, and many of these, you know, doctors who are more in the anti-aging and, and so the, considered a little fringe by traditional medicine, but anybody who has ever worked with a patient trying to optimize their health, particularly a woman, whether it's weight loss or disease prevention, I don't know how you can say that we know that traditional medicine has the answers. You know, I, I just don't know. Right. I don't think it does. I think that what it's great at for you and me, it sounds like, is we start there. So I look at all the data and read the literature. I'm published. I am always, I'm, I actually consider myself a clinical researcher. And that's how I set this up. I was lucky enough to be trained by my mentors at NIH who were brilliant, Dr. Lynn Lorio and others who had me think in this way. And that's what made me lucky about it. And so even testosterone alone isn't approved formally in women. And a lot of uh, OBGYNs and other doctors aren't comfortable if something isn't formally approved. And the reason for that is because we're trained to work according to protocols and standardization of care. And when you think about what that means, it means population-based research. It means a thousand people or, a, you know, even more. And so when you drill it down, which most of us practitioners do, like you and I, to that individual sitting in front of us, and they can't lose weight. And even if you get them perfect on their habits in terms of sleep, nutrition, exercise, even, you know, doing forms of 
restorative stuff like qigong or you know making sure they meditate it doesn't correct their innate health trajectory and that's where testosterone using it just as a fill-in for all the things in conventional medicine that don't they don't know and so what they don't know doctors are risk averse above all do no harm they don't want to hurt you so they'll be biased towards not doing anything that's new to them and yet our medical com- our medical world in america is a disease centric sick centric right. state chronic disease which costs 4 trillion dollars is all about chronic disease instead of about health i believe we can end chronic disease in this century if we start alerting people to what's going on met- metabolically at the cellular level before they get sick before they decline and testosterone's part of the answer as long as you're not harming anyone and the right. data will help and also being i mean i see this so much in my practice as i'm sure you do with um thyroid disease where you know uh subacute meaning it's just below the, uh, you know, not normal range. And that's doctors are like, nope, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do anything about it. So, um, but I was just thinking about one thing too. I think it's worth mentioning with the continuous glucose monitor, because there is evidence and I, I, you know, with um, these big spikes in, you know, people will say, oh, who cares? Like, um, but these spikes in blood sugar and spikes in, in lipids and, you know, fat after eating are actually linked with inflammation. And we know that inflammation is responsible for head to toe diseases. So in terms of, you know, ending chronic disease, you know, some of these tools that are like hyper personalized and and really um, helping you figure out what's best for you. Do you use the microbiome a lot? Do you do a lot of stool testing as well in your practice? Because I think that is more actionable than genes. So that's a great question. And we do use it. I find that you can't generalize. That's a work in progress in terms of the microbiome. But at the individual letter level, finding something going on in the microbiome, finding a shift to only a couple of kinds of bacteria instead of the whole range, or using genetics to understand, for example, and this is where I think genetics is beginning to turn a quarter. To, to me, it's the icing on the cake. I can't wait. And we are working with a group that I think is phenomenal. And for the first time, I think we're going to have legitimate information to guide help. But you can't absorb things without your microbiome being healthy. So we look for that and use that individual as her own kind of comparison control to see what changes in what direction. We also look at what you're allergic to, and it's not just what you react to on the surface, it's what's going on deeper, as I'm sure you know. We look at the immune system. Largely, we start by looking at carbohydrate metabolism, like fasting sugar, fasting insulin, hemoglobin A1C, free testosterone, and also a fraction of the lipid um, panel, which is the cholesterol risk ratio. And in almost every single person, they are not optimal. And I am even talking about 20-something, because when we first started testing for Grok Health, which is the app, it's called Grok Health, um, we found, we did a, a study in about 14 people, average age of 30, and even 20-somethings had abnormal sugar management. Some of it was extreme where in one person, and you might be shocked to hear this, was on a purely plant diet. And this is where the CGM came in handy. She was getting migraines and waking up at night. Her sugar was falling to 40. Mm. 
And even the ones who are in their 20s to to 30s were not responding to food the way we know is ideal. So you know those studies that one of us could have a high response of sugar to banana, but another one not, and vice versa for a cookie. So we can't generalize from what's been published in the literature. In fact, I had a young woman who was fantastic. She was, you'd look at her and you'd think she was perfect in every way. And she was trying to have a baby. And I knew at 35, she should have had a lot of eggs stimulated. She had like four or five, didn't get pregnant. And we had her on the glucose monitor. And within 24 hours, she wasn't eating enough. And she wasn't actually managing her GI tract, which is the microbiome. And by changing the way she was eating alone and by making sure she sustained her sugars high enough, because it's not always high sugars, it could be low sugars too. She had 18 embryos produced and she has a lovely baby girl now. So it is very important to understand how your body dynamics work. I think I'm fortunate to be an endocrinologist and to have seen whole life development because of that messaging, to even have done fertility in men and women. We use that all the time. I think you'd be fascinated by it. And I, I'd be happy to look at your sugars while you're using the CGM because yeah, I can no, see how be, great shape you're fun. in. It'd be fun. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, I definitely... Uh, it's funny because what I did find in the 24 hours that I wore it before I ruined it is that when I thought my sugar was dropping and I was hungry, it wasn't. It was totally normal. And and yes. it was I was really interested in also my my response to exercise where then it went up and uh you know because of maybe the endorphins or what you know stimulating but I'd like we'll we'll definitely I- I'll report back I'm I'm telling my audience I'm going to do this and then I'll report back you and I can talk right. about it so but let's get you know again this podcast is practically healthy some of this stuff is just not accessible to the average person let's talk a uh, first of all I'm really intrigued by your app because I also was doing something in artificial intelligence and nutrition. And I think it's going to help us tremendously develop these and, and these wearables. All these things are going to really help transform precision medicine because without big data, uh, and artificial intelligence, we're not going to be, there's too many variables. Like even as smart as, we are. I'll, I'll throw us a little bone. You can't factor in everything. So exactly. tell us a little bit about your app and then how the average person could do this if maybe they couldn't afford to see you or do all the testing or t- do all this stuff. So that's a great question. I had dreamed of this over 20 years ago um, when the first internet showed up and it was bricks or clicks and now it's digital health. But I also believed in having real data and knowing that if you're reaching into an app, you're getting the best medicine has to offer based on scientific evidence and longstanding data. So we have collected longitudinally thousands of data points in each person that we follow. And we can see change over time. We can stop diabetes, reverse it. And by having access to the app, it wouldn't be your entire system all at once, but we start with the five biomarkers that I think have a huge impact on almost every human being in terms of cardiometabolic disease, like heart attacks, stroke, diabetes, cancer, you know, insulin is affected by cancer. So to use just one example, if your insulin is elevated, and mine happens to be, I've been following it for years, and it got higher and higher because I probably inherited that from my mother, not my father. And I know that too. Um, 
I have insulin resistance. And decades before you become a diabetic, that shows up. Now, there's all different forms of disorders of carb metabolism. So in our app, people will get access to a CGM, a one or two. And while they're wearing it, we would draw these baseline factors, which some of which you can go to your doctor. So I'm not sure what your practically healthy means. I, I didn't read the definition, but it's fascinating. But I believe we can make huge changes even with just five biomarkers in a CGM because it will tell us who might need medication or supplements and can't do it by habits alone. I'm sure you've seen that, Melina. Uh, So what are the five biomarkers? So it's fasting sugar, fasting insulin, hemoglobin A1C, which has a relationship, but isn't like my hemoglobin A1C is great. It's below five almost all the time. But my insulin, yeah, so that's wonderful. But it doesn't mean your insulin isn't going high and low. And so that's an issue. Um, and your sugar too, and they follow each other in different patterns. So somebody can have a hemoglobin A1C that I just read the other day of 5.7, which is pre-diabetic, and yet their insulin is fine. It's unmeasurable. You should have no insulin around within three hours of eating. And overnight, your insulin should be undetectable. And most of the time it's not, but everybody's unique. So putting those patterns together, just like winning a lottery, there's lots of ways for those numbers to come together, right? And we're able to detect what's going on with all these years of research and evidence underlying it. And that's what we're doing. It turns out, as I mentioned in the opening, my pattern recognition, which I thought every doctor did, I really didn't know that that didn't happen um, for the last 10 years. And that's when I found out moving from Yale to New York, where I thought I'd bump into a lot of doctors doing this. I did not. But very recently, we submitted 100 cases that we were studying in men to a professor on the faculty at Stanford, who's an expert in AI. And he reported back that actually what we had identified was AI, that it wasn't just pattern recognition, that it led to where numbers overlap, why they overlapped. And now we're studying the interventions we do to see that we could do this for everybody. That's really the goal. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. And I, I definitely will we'll definitely have to talk again. But so where where when will the app be available? Where can be, people go to learn more about what you do or to even work with you? Tell us how to get a hold of you and and uh you know where people very can learn more. You. Well, online it's at um Grok Health, G-R-O-Q health and it's also grokhealth.com if you want to get on the waiting list i think there are about 17 or 18,000 people on a wait list we're planning a soft launch in a couple of months hopefully in the summer right now we're in beta so we're finishing up the beta where people have been testing it and my assumptions look like with the team have coming to fruition, which is quite exciting because I have people both at Comite and at Grok and the technical team doing a tremendous job making this app work, which is just my dream come true. Um, they can also look on social media where I think I'm, it's, there's a Dr. Dr. Florence Comite.com, which I barely look at. So I'm not even sure what it says anymore. <laughs> but um, I am also in Wikipedia. So if you want to read a lot about the scientific work I've done as a basis for all of this, I think that's where the difference will be. That a lot of what we see out there, which you alluded to in genetics, is really not 100% on target. It's hard to interpret. It's direct to consumer without a backing of really 
medical, well-trained doctors who know research, who have tried it themselves, who get what you have to do. And that's what's a little scary to me. So I am all about the science and the evidence and the end of one. That makes sense. So at Dr. Comet, you can also go to CometeMD.com to read the procedures and policies and protocols behind what what is developing for Grok. And so I think that will help you, your listeners, which I and I'd be thrilled to come back and uh, love it. Yeah, we will do we'll, we'll we'll talk about more more about hormones and artificial intelligence and then you can analyze live on air no the uh, my CGM. It's so interesting cuz I, I just took- CGM if you have data, you can send me your labs which we think of as biomarkers right. and I'll put it all together. Like I like you can people can be adopted and it's so visible to us in your data that to me it still blows me away. The reason I'm still passionate although tired but I'm I'm passionate is because it works for everyone. If you do targeted, actionable interventions after getting insights and tying this together, first integrating the CGM with the numbers, with your health story, you actually come out with answers about each human being and they don't have to be disappointed as to why they don't feel well, why they get diabetes, why they can't lose weight, even postmenopausal and postandropausal for men. Another whole topic. Yeah, that's another. So. We'll, we'll definitely. We, we there's a lot we can talk about. I, I I love this, and I thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm really looking forward to getting feedback from our listeners. Maybe we can even have them ask us questions for next time we talk. We can go through some questions. So I'm excited. This is the beginning of a of a wonderful collaboration. I hope so. Thank you again that's for great. thank you taking time. You've been listening to Practically Healthy by Dr. Melina. Subscribe. I want to hear from you go to Instagram, my website, drmelina.com. And any ideas for wonderful experts like this, I'm here for you. I do this for you, although selfishly, I'm learning and getting taken care of too. So anyways, have a wonderful, healthy day and um, hope hit like because this was a great episode. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.